My log has a message for you. The stars turn and the time presents itself. Call for her. Brings back some memories. Case files. There's a body, all right. Hello and welcome to Listening Post Alpha Part 1 with us, Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee with Ethan and Bex. And us, Bickering Peaks with Lindsay and Aiden. <laughs> you seem surprised to be here. <laughs> Always. Uh, yeah, no, this is great. We, uh, we dusted off the old console and uh, up yeah. at Listening Post Alpha yeah. and now we're ready to, ready to go. Ready to go with it. So... Uh, Twin Peaks is on hiatus this week, and so we thought it'd be a really good idea to maybe use this week to take stock of everything that's happened in the last uh, eight weeks, and talk a little bit about sort of what we think is going on, some of the big theories, and also maybe expand a little bit onto, you know, what we think might be going mm-hmm. on if the show is in any way able to be, you know, predicted in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we thought we'd. Join forces, Bickering Peaks, and Time for Cakes and Ale, or Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee, I guess. You guys are, it's your Twin Peaks arm. Uh, yeah, and, and kind of pull things together and see what we can come up with. Four brains are better than two, so <laughs> let's see what we, can, what we can come up with. I think the way we're going to split this, maybe, is to try and talk, you know, in line with the duality of Twin Peaks itself, a little bit about how, you know, maybe on one side we've got the well, proverbial good side of things going on. So we have the positive side, we have uh, Laura, we have the White Lodge, we have the the nice happy things going on in Twin Peaks and and all the nice friendly residents. But on the other side, we have this darkness, this undercurrent in Twin Peaks, not just in the town, but also in the universe itself. And that's where we're going to be maybe talking about Mr. C, Bob, the Black Lodge, the Red Room, all these strange events going on. And also we've uh, put out a call for questions. We have lots of really great questions which have been sent in. So we'll be tackling those kind of as we're going along as well. And I think we're going to start with, you know, in a show which isn't really black and white anyway, the good side of things (laughs) and see how that goes. That'll be good. 
where should we start? Where should we start? That's a great question. Where should we start? <laughs> well, what have we got going on with the good side so far? We've got, we've got. I mean, it's surprising to a lot of people, I think, that uh, Agent Cooper was able to leave the lodge so quickly in, you know, the second part of this of the return. So, it, it, I mean, that was something everybody was wondering about how this was going to happen, and we got kind of an answer to it, maybe, sort of, sort of, so far in in the second hour of the show um and we've got some big mysteries going on there too like where where did he actually go he he's been sucked out of the lodge or forced out of the lodge into the life of dougie jones we have laura forcibly removed it seems from the lodge and sent somewhere um we also have major briggs whose mysterious appearance after a long assumed disappearance has kind of thrown the fbi and the military into disarray a little bit too right so it's it's we're kind of we're kind of all over the place there's been a lot more of the i guess the quote-unquote bad element going on the the evil side of things is a little bit more uh linear maybe i guess or easier to grasp yeah i don't know how do you guys feel about that so i i think the the bad side it kind of stands out more mm-hmm. um because it's a lot more shocking but i th- i think the, the good side the the undercurrent of the good side is still there for example if you if you look at the town of Twin Peaks itself um a lot of the you know the the sort of characters who are on the side of good who are still around so some of the old characters like James, Shelley who are still there and still seem to be positive Mm -hmm. and be a positive influence on the town and then of course in the sheriff's station um, you've still got Hawk and Andy and Lucy who are kind of unashamedly lovely and wonderful Um, and also the new sheriff as well, who seems to be pretty yeah. good. Um, it, even if he, he... It's difficult to tell at this moment how much he knows about all the weirdness that's gone on, but he, he seems to be on the side of good. And even though you've got a few bad eggs in the sheriff's station itself, chatting up the place. <laughs> but, but by and large, the forces of good are there. They're just not being quite as dramatic and impact on the plot at the moment they they seem to be kind of almost sort of waiting in the wings to actually make their moves just like good coop slash dougie coop is in las vegas he's kind of almost on pause waiting to do something until the time Mm -hmm. is right and i think a lot of the the positive influences in the show in a similar way are almost waiting for their time to uh to actually make a positive difference whereas the bad guys are already up to no yeah. good yeah it does kind of feel i think that in the first half of the show so far it does feel like the you know some of the evil in twin peaks is being established in the real world right whereas actually a lot of the good things that are happening are happening in the more extra dimensional spaces yeah. that we're seeing and some of the transitions you're seeing where characters are emerging in you know in the real world but they're not quite mm-hmm. themselves but i do get the impression especially with the cliffhanger I suppose it's a cliffhanger in the middle of part eight where you see Bob potentially being removed from Mr. C. That does seem to be a wake up moment for things where that could be an inflection point where all of a sudden we are going to see that maybe the reemergence of Laura in the real world as well. Elements of you know the good side of things becoming more apparent in the mm-hmm. real world. And that's where the, sh- the show could be going. Certainly the idea that things are building towards a genuine return to events 
in the town of Twin yeah. Peaks seems to be on the cards at the moment. And that's what's interesting. I think somebody is a few people have charted the actual number of minutes that we spend in the town of Twin Peaks has been steadily increasing as mm. we go through. So I think that's absolutely right that that we're heading towards this stuff coming to a head in mm. Twin Peaks potentially, right? I'm guessing that's where it's headed. It's hard to know, mm. but but definitely the return we are returning to Twin Peaks the same way that that Agent Cooper is returning to mm-hmm. Twin Peaks. Maybe Laura is returning to Twin Peaks. Who knows what's going to happen? But but it seems to all be heading that way. You're right. I mean, certainly, I think you know the the fact that they've made it a bit of a slow burn. Mm-hmm. It does seem a bit disorientating because you're. Yeah, I think everyone was hoping that you know it would come back, we'd be back in Twin yeah. Peaks, and it would be filled with nostalgia, and we'd go back to the sheriff station. There'd be donuts mm-hmm. and coffee and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's clear that. You know, Lynch and Frost just aren't interested in that at yeah. all. I think they have a story to tell, and they're going to tell it. And it will. It does almost seem like like a reflection of Fire Walk with yes. Me. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole idea that it's just taking the mythology in a very different way. That I think when, well, I remember when I first watched Fire Walk with Me, it was very jarring. Mm. I'm not sure if I didn't like it or did like it, or whatever. But it was just very unlike you know I was I was expecting. And so all of a sudden, you move uh, forward a few years, you rewatch it, and you start to appreciate it more. I think now they're doing the same thing, but they're taking advantage of the fact that we have, you know, 18 hours to mull over how this thing is building. Um, It's certainly not the binge-worthy season one, season two kind of thing that you can do, where you can just sit down and watch it all. I think at the end it would be great, because you'll know how it ends, so you'll know exactly what the arc works as. Um, yeah. No, that's exact. That's a really great point, Aiden. Yeah. I think you've you've mentioned this a couple of yeah, times. Yeah, similar kind of thing. Yeah, just that. Yeah, it, it's a totally different structure. Like they're they're not working under you know the TV that they were working under in 1990. They they they're working off the prestige TV that that everyone kind of watches now. You got your your Game of Thrones and other big TV series that are that aren't as formulaic and and have a bit more leniency. And they're taking it into a whole other direction and. And a whole nother level of yeah, especially disorientation is a really good way of putting it because, you know, we've we've all theorized like when are these events happening? Is it 2016? Is it have they found the box from Secret History? You know, there's there's all these questions that people have, and we don't know. There's there's been very few clues. It's been intentionally disorienting. I feel mm-hmm. like they they don't want you to know certain things as you're watching it the first time. And I, I think you're right. The rewatching is going to be so so rewarding to to go back and be like. oh, Yes, this is tying into the thing that's in part fifteen. Well, or and whatever. even some people have said they've they've gone back and watched even part seven, and there are things that they're picking up on that lead into part eight that didn't mean anything the first time they watched it, but means something now. And so, yeah, that is that is going to be interesting to yeah see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that the structure is affected a little bit more as well by the fact that they're not? Uh writing a weekly show which is potentially at the end of season one up for renewal and they've got to make another series and they're not sure where the arcs are going to go i mean this has been made we know that somewhere in a vault in showtime <laughs> all 18 hours exist people have seen yes. them and it is finished I mean, like it's a complete story yeah. they do know what's yeah. going to happen well yeah absolutely i think i mean yeah like lynch always talking about the 18 hour movie I think that is that's a different approach that he takes, especially in well, when and you the know, writing even, yeah. When you know there's gonna be a beginning, a middle and an end, and you write it as if there is a beginning, middle and an end, that's mm-hmm. that's huge. That's not like anything I mean, I well, yeah. I don't know how, how other T V shows work, but it certainly wasn't how the original series worked. So so it is definitely 
uh, affecting the way we tell the story. And it, I think it's affecting the way people are viewing the story too, because um, I, I'm sure you guys have seen on social media the, the backlash that some people have had towards some of these storylines. They're to- moving too slowly or um, it's taking too long for us to find out what's going on. And But keeping in mind that it's that 18-hour movie, it's not it's not episodic television anymore. Mm-hmm. It's something else. I don't even know what to, what to call it. Yeah, it's basically brand new. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not it's not episodic. It's it's yeah, like the the metaphor the metaphor, I don't know if that's the right term, but the thing we've always been uh kind of visualizing it as is, you know, you've watched eight of of eighteen, which would be in a two and a half hour movie an hour and ten minutes. So For you think of yeah. yeah, something like that. It's when you get that comparison underway, it, it really kind of illuminates the fact that you haven't seen anything really, mm-hmm. especially in a David Lynch movie. You look at his movies that are over two hours <laughs> long, and yeah, what, what by the end you are nowhere near where you were in an hour and yeah. ten minutes in. So it's uh, yeah, just worth keeping in mind, I think. And certainly with his recent work, I but I know he he does seem to you know try and keep fresh, but he does seem to return to the same themes mm-hmm. again and again. I do still get the impression that at some point, relatively soon, we might see that. Uh, flip in mm-hmm. tone that that might be present. I mean, I you know I know we haven't seen the whole sort of folksy you know let's all hang out at the sheriff station kind of fun that we used to see, but I do get a sense that they will do a little bit of that, not for the fans, but because that was really the heart of Twin yeah. Peaks, and they do as much as they're mulling a lot on the you know on the evil and building up the mythology of the Black Lodge. And Bob, you know, I personally think we haven't really seen what they're going to counter that with, with the building up of the good side yeah. with Laura. Yeah. And I think certainly what happened in part eight was the beginning of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, the idea that they're starting to incorporate an idea that, you know, Laura may not be the character that we yeah. uh, we originally thought yeah. she would be. Exactly. That's something I wanted to ask you guys, because uh, some different f- interpretations of that, I don't know what to call it, the theater scene. Yeah. In in part eight, where it seems like Laura is being manufactured, for lack of a better word, um, the way that some people have responded to that is it's either they look at it as as Laura being sent to Earth, born, maybe this is her birth, and, and she's been created from the start in order to fulfill this role, or that this is some kind of a rebirth for her, that this is, this is her taking on... Um, a role after the fact after she's died she's being sent back for some reason and uh and there seems to be and, and even other interpretations in between there all along so um what do you guys think is is going on there with with uh with laura's Laura. story and how she's being portrayed here yeah i don't know if that sort of shining golden ball of of light is her creation Mm. or possibly the creation of a prophecy that will affect her the person that you see in there um or or maybe it's uh some kind of premonition that that they have that they know that this is the person who will affect some kind of change i don't necessarily think it's something that takes away her element of free will i think it would be a real shame Mm -hmm. if it did because you know, a huge part of it, particularly a huge part of Firewalk with me, was her making the decision that she wasn't going to allow herself to be corrupted and, and taken over yeah. by Bob. And I think if she didn't have any free will in that, it would be a real shame. 
so it it could be that they are um somehow seeing a potential in someone mm. to to combat it or it could even be that it's odd that the image that you see is the prom photo you know it's not it's not a baby mm. that you see in it it's and it's not the the older law that you see in the lodge but it's it's that very specific photo so are they marking a moment in time in right. some way in which there's going to be some kind of shift? Um, it could even be that they are removing her from the Black Lodge or the, or the Red Room, the waiting room, and returning it. Is that what we're seeing in that early scene where... She gets zapped she whisp- out of the room after, yeah, where she after whispering to something Cooper. And, yeah. um, are they sending her back? I don't know if... We're not entirely sure who they are or where they are or how much power they have over the Black Lodge, the White Lodge, wherever it may be, or Earth, or... I think a lot of it is going to come down to what their role mm-hmm. is. Is that the White Lodge, or is it some third place where they have some kind of almost kind of neutralising force that they can bring to bear to kind of restore balance in some way? Yeah, um, yeah it's it's all very mysterious at the moment. Who knew that a silent scene in the golden <laughs> orb could make everything so mysterious? No kidding. What do you guys think? Well, I think it it kind of it depends on a lot of things. Like you you brought up the the whole uh, balance issue that maybe this is a balancing act, literally an act that will balance the forces of good and evil. And uh, in that case, I mean, there's a lot of debate about what the giant represents. Um, in fact, I think today wasn't it released that that his name might be the fireman. That somebody. Oh, so we haven't seen okay, that. Okay, so I think I think that was on that was on Welcome to Twin Peaks. No. <laughs> Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> no, it's um, they said that they said that the the title of the song that's playing in that in that segment is called The Fireman, and they said that um, okay. it it's seven letters and there's seven question marks in his name. So could this be his name? And that that kind of that makes it interesting if he's the fireman and if he's putting out a fire if if laura is that the the way he's going to do that that's potentially very interesting um something else though is is all along we've been debating even going back to his first appearance in season two uh what role he has if he is uh good bad or somewhere in the middle i think we've always aiden and i anyway have always fallen on him being Kind of a balancing, more, yeah, but more good. More positive, yeah, I think so. Um, so, and the fact that he's older in this scene, I think is interesting because we've seen all the other characters age in the Lodge and age in this this supernatural other world, and he's aged too. So that makes us think that this might be taking place in the future. Oh. Or, like, well... <laughs> Okay, I should or have like said makes now. us think, makes yeah, me makes think. think. Maybe it's taking place now and that he's sending uh, Laura as an emissary, which fits in with what you said, Bex, that, that uh, Laura has been removed from the lodge in that in that moment and that's when she's being sent back to Earth in the Golden Orb, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I kind of took it a different way. I, okay. I, I thought it was, uh, I also thought it was really interesting that it was the fact that it was a photo, that it was mm. the prom photo. It's and And the prom photo like its effect on Bobby and whatever part that was, it's really more the memory, right? So it's, it's I think, I feel like it's almost like, uh, totemic almost. Yeah, almost. It's, it's like the suffering and the, the anguish of the initial pilot episode is what they're sending to save the world from Bob. And I don't know how that's supposed to work, but that's kind of like the, uh, the textual meaning I took from it. Um, 
which is, you know, could be interesting. I mean, I don't know. Like, who knows? Like, it could be that that orb happened with Laura's face and then maybe we never see Laura again. I doubt it. I really doubt it. But, you know, who knows with the series? Like, it could go anywhere. It could have been Chaz. (laughs) It could have been. Or Wally's. I've seen all the photoshops. Everyone's head has been in that orb this this week, I have to say. Yeah. (laughs) If, um... If, as you say, the, you know, the the people who are in the Black Lodge are all aging, you know, Laura, Cooper, Mike, everyone is is older, um, and then also the giant fireman, whoever he is, is also older. But it's odd that they're witnessing then something happening in the nineteen fifties, yeah. well, nineteen forties actually, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. They're witnessing the nineteen forties and react mm-hmm. to it. And then thinking about that initial, well, the very first scene in the very first part where he's talking to to Cooper and says, you are far right. away. Could it be that uh, the the fireman and Senorita Dido in that uh, kind of black and white mansion where they are, are they moving the other direction in time? Are, are they moving mm-hmm. backwards in time as we're moving forwards in time? And yet the connection is mm-hmm. the same. River song. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so he, the fireman might be in the past and therefore see and reacting to the moment when something right. happens. He may even know that this is the thing to look out for because if they were in the opposite end of time, yeah. they would have known of it happening. So maybe that's the alarm telling them that it's happened. And then they do something that they know is going to affect the future because they've already seen yeah. it. But then if he was talking to, he's talking to Cooper in the future. <laughs> This, this, gets really and Beck's his head explodes. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, you remember how in that in that scene with Lucy, where she gets really confused about the mobile mm. phones, and she can't cope with the fact that somebody is moving through space and talking on the phone at the right. same time. And I, I kept thinking that that is actually it's going to turn out to be really important because it's it's her inability to grasp it is in some way related to my inability to articulate what I mean about the moving in yeah, different yeah, yeah. time directions. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but that does also become interesting if you think about the fact that in the Red Room, if that is actually part of the Black Lodge or just a waiting room for it or whatever, you know, things are going backwards in that room and they're played mm-hmm. forwards from Cooper's mm-hmm. perspective. Um, so there is, there must be some reason beyond a sort of stylistic right. choice why you choose to play the scenes backwards you could have done it in a you know using a, you know a made-up language yeah. you could have done it in something completely bizarre that you wouldn't understand but what you're clearly seeing especially when he in the season two finale when he's looking at the coffee cup for example and yeah. pouring it the implication is you know yeah time moves in a funny way there but is it actually that we're seeing two um uh, trajectories right. in time in the same way that in the finale of star trek tng that's all based around the fact that i think they're 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 firing at some event in the yeah. future and then that's what causes things to have an effect right. in the past right and there could be some weird effect this whole idea of time just could be that we're seeing events sort of colliding and there will be some moment when they do actually meet when the timelines all converge right. and then they kind of split out afterwards but uh some kind of singularity <laughs> yeah 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 so why do you actually think uh the giant is sending this orb 
back? And when do you think it's going to turn up? Well, that's a big question. That's a, big that's question. a good question. Um, my, my initial reading of the that sequence was that we've already seen it. It was the uh, I was of the assumption that it was the fricket. The, the, the thing, cock frog? The cock frog, <laughs> yes. Uh, had, had come out, and, uh, and that girl is Sarah Palmer. So it's gone in and presaged Laura's birth by tunneling into into Sarah Palmer. So, you, yeah, you you viewed the orb as becoming the cock frog yeah. slash fricket, and yeah. that, that went on. Yeah. And I disagreed with that. Yes. But, um, but it did. And that's the tricky thing, because the the show, it seems like it's linking these, these scenes, and it... We want to put them together in that way, but that's not necessarily how it's going to play out. Yeah. So maybe that that egg hatching has nothing to do with the orb at all. Maybe that whole scene has nothing to do with anything at all. But the fact that they're bookended means that we've put them we've together in our heads up, yeah. in a way. Because yeah. um, I, I really do like the idea of of this being Laura's uh, quote unquote rebirth. She's this isn't because I, I, I really bristle when I think about the idea, like you did, Bex, that. Um, that she has no agency and that this was all fated to happen. That really upset me when I got to the end of the episode because I thought that's that just doesn't jibe with what I want for Laura, I guess, right? So so for it to be after the fact, after she's died, um, she's being sent back. Maybe she's proven her mettle in some way and she's now being sent back in the present day or um, at some point after her death, she's being reconstituted and sent back mm-hmm. in order to combat this but you're right it doesn't make sense that, that then unless they are coming in two different trajectories that we're witnessing the the nuclear bomb and then laura is sent out presumably you would know that, that the bomb had happened and then you would send it then i don't know it's so it's so confusing yeah. when do you when do you guys think it's happening i don't know i'm, I'm coming around to the idea that that he's sending her back out of the red room, the whole "I am dead yet I live," mm. um, and the and the shining light inside when when she removed her face. I'm liking the idea that this is that the, the, almost the further back in time the black and white mansion scenes are happening, the further forward in time they're influencing right. things, and that this is them finding the person who maybe already exists and saying actually returning them to the world could do something to yeah, yeah do something yeah. yeah 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 no that would make sense i mean the whole thing where she opened her face and there was a white light inside it's it, it feels like something's happened to laura in the 25 years because she didn't have any of those supernatural abilities except for perhaps dreaming her way into the to the, the lodges, the lodges or, or something or yeah she had some sort of connection there and obviously being connected with bob all those years but she didn't have any sort of like supernatural gift herself mm-hmm. um but yeah the brief snippet of her that we got in the red room really it was otherworldly and, and unlike any of the other even mike or the arm or anybody uh hasn't hasn't displayed something that prominently really um even the giants in this tv series was you know pretty stayed he just appeared and gave some advice and, <laughs> and took rings and stuff but yeah. he wasn't he wasn't you know super super powerful or anything like that yeah and maybe that's not how we're supposed to read laura's uh, appearance but that's how i took it it was like she's like a superhero kind of <laughs> kind of thing or you know super powerful in some way which fits so so nicely with this idea that that at the beginning she was literally just 
a dead girl. Like she didn't have anything and we grew to know her and then Firewalk with me happens and we see her come into her own and then the return is is going to literally bring her back to life. I think that that would be such a nice mm-hmm. trajectory for her to go on if we somehow and and if she becomes even more heroic and and is is made very prominent and central to her own story even more so than than in Firewalk with me. I think that would be really fitting. Yeah. I think what's interesting is it it could be in an interview in Lynch on Lynch, but it's it's a section where it's very clear that not only is David Lynch really interested in the character of Laura, but he talks about the fact that I think he even reminds the person interviewing him that Laura was an example of, you know, tremendous bravery and courage right. and heroism. Um, specifically in light of the terrible things that were happening to her. And I think even he wouldn't undermine that by suddenly making Laura be rewritten in some way. Because I think he wants to make her arc complete by adding on what happens in the return. He doesn't want to... Yeah, like um, undo what he's... Replace what's already happened. Yeah. And so the one thing we were also thinking about was... Again, it goes back to this idea of, you know, wanting and needing that keeps coming up. And this might be complete bollocks, but what's kind of strange is, is Laura being sent back in some way to torment Bob in some way? Because Bob couldn't and didn't have the chance to inhabit Laura. He didn't get that opportunity. And is is it like the giant you know, flipping him the bird a little bit by sending back the only person who he couldn't take control right. of as like the, you know, as a way to kind of um, break him in some way to show that even though he tried and tried and tried, there was somebody he couldn't get. And that's the person who they're going to send back in some mm-hmm. form, you know, as, you know, as a response. I could, because I almost see the return for Laura not being potentially the same Laura we saw right. before. Um, I almost see it as a new iteration of of her coming right. back. Yeah, and that that absolutely fits. I think that would be a really nice way to to cap off her story, I guess, in a way. Um, if she's somehow able to, I, I mean, one of the theories that before the the return even started, because we saw only Cooper and Laura were the only faces that were used in promotion, so we knew. I think. We all kind of instinctively knew that Laura was going to be important, but how could she be important if she was dead? And so um, with the ideas that maybe there's time changes going on or something, some theories came out that that perhaps Laura would be the only person who could contain Bob or something in order to like remove him completely from the world. And that would, that would also be really fitting, that maybe this is some way she's being sent back um, – to torment him, to capture him, to remove him completely from from humanity's uh, yeah. world, I guess, yeah. for lack of a better term. Is it possible that when people have spent a significant amount of time in the lodges or, or, or the, the waiting rooms for the lodges, that they could develop some kind of magical ability, for want of a better term, because when we see Dougie Coop wandering around the casino and he can see where the yeah. slot machines are, are going to pay out, 
and and that's surely that's way too many slot machines that were paired a jackpot yeah, than you would even yeah. have on a day in a casino. Right. And you know his his almost kind of inadvertent ability to dodge the hitmen when he drops the key right. on the floor. Because we were thinking, oh, this is some kind of lodge influence. The lodge is looking out mm-hmm. for him, but has he actually gained some ability to tap into something? And if that's true, could Laura have the mm-hmm. same? Is she going to come back actually more powerful? Yeah. Is she going to come back maybe as the only person who could have power over yeah. Bob? Because she's she's gained some ability, some inherent mm-hmm. magic or, or otherworldliness in being in that place for such a long right. time. And being the only person that he couldn't get in the first place, is she now actually going to have the power to not only evade him, but actually capture yeah. him? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that could be really interesting if they decide to play with that. Yeah. I, it's the kind of story that I I could totally see Lynch and Frost going with, and and I would absolutely want to see yeah, them I do see it. it too, yeah. So yeah, it would it would be really cool if that's what they decided. Because I have do. no idea what that looks like in their world. You yeah, know? Like, based on everything we've seen so far, like um, it'd be uh, it'd be quite a feast to to set our eyes on. I think for mm. sure. So we had. Quite a few questions come yes. in specifically about yeah. Laura. Shall we? Shall we go Let's through some of those? Kevin McCarty said, uh, "Prediction: Leland's message, find Laura, is the key. Only Dale with Laura can defeat Doppel Cooper with Bob." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's basically what we kind of. Yeah, I think I think that's that's kind <laughs> of what yeah what we what we went into but it expecting. But I, I think uh, the the role of Cooper has we haven't talked about that much yet because. Like, what role is Cooper going to play? Yeah. Presuming that he gets control over his whole faculties again and, um, you know, to whatever extent that that's possible. Um, you know, what role is he going to play in this? Is he, is, I mean, presumably he's the hero and he's been the central character so far in the series. But if Laura is actually the most important one, which it feels like perhaps is, is actually the case, is he going to wind up playing like a supporting role to Laura? Um, which, you know, I think would be really interesting because, yeah. you know, and it would really drive people crazy if they waited all this time for, for Dougie to, to bring Cooper back and then it winds up being, oh, I'm just here for five minutes and then he's, Laura's going to save the day. He's like, Robin to her Batman yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be kind of cool if in hour 18, when the episode ends, tragic as that may be, it actually ends with uh, starring Sean right. yeah, yeah. instead oh. of the Carl McLaughlin and everyone, and everyone no would freak kidding. out I think if yeah. that happened yeah no kidding so I think one interesting thing about that is like you say Aiden, we don't actually know what Cooper is doing mm. here so I know that everyone wants to see Cooper back in Twin mm-hmm. Peaks but there's no reason that we can see for him to go right. back at the moment so we know that he's been returned to the real world, we think. And we know that there's probably an arc developing where he might be regaining his sort of his critical faculties and sort of coming back into yeah. himself. But there's still no reason for him to go to Twin Peaks, although everything seems to be pushing him in that right. direction. There's no murder nope. that's gone on. There's no mystery. There's no reason why the FBI would suddenly see him and go, oh, you're back on duty immediately. The only thing that we can think of in terms of an, you know, a possible link is the entrance to the lodges. There. Yeah. You know, that that has there has to be some reason for him to return to the town, not necessarily to solve a crime directly, but because ultimately it's going to be tied to the mysteries. And right. the woods. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the interesting thing that that with 
The Secret History of Twin Peaks kind of left it open that there were maybe more than one... Uh, there was more than one way to get to the lodges, that maybe Pasadena had something to do with it or New Mexico or something, that there were locations around the world that, or at least around the continental United States where you could access the lodges. So it, it removed a little bit of the centrality of Twin Peaks itself as, a, as an important place. But I do think that what we've seen so far, and I, I'm thinking specifically of the ending of, um, of Part 7 with the, the switch in the diner, and a few other things that just make, like the humming at the Great Northern and um, what are some other weird things that have gone on? Whatever Jerry saw in the woods, whether he's high or whether yeah. he saw something. Yeah. Like I think, I think there is a concentration at least. If Maybe there are more than, maybe there is more than one door to go into the lodge, but it's all centered in Twin Peaks somehow or it's concentrated in Twin Peaks. So you could be right that that is why Agent Cooper would be pushed back towards towards that area yeah Yeah. it may also just be because that's where laura was from and she's maybe tied into that somehow Mm. um but yeah you're right it's it's hard to tell what what his purpose would be if um, unless there's yeah like there's no murder there's no reason for him to be everybody wants him to go back to twin peaks but there's no reason for him to go back there especially now he lost his key I, I thought for sure he'd wake up like when he gains his faculties and be like, oh, yeah, the Great Northern, and he'd head right there. But no, it's not happening. That's okay. Uh, do we go into the next question? Okay. Uh, Mark O'Brien asks, do you guys think Laura sees a light globe similar to the one she's dispatched in at the end of Fire Walk With Me? Hmm. Potentially. So in Fire Walk With Me, at the end, um, when you see that angel mm-hmm. um, hovering, and it's sort of a, a call back to the image of the angel that she saw in that painting that's on her bedroom wall. But it it could sim- it could be that that is how she's interpreting what yeah. she right. sees, and that's how she's interpreting the light. Because I mean, as with many things in in Lynch films, you've got the same thing being interpreted as very different things by by characters, or even by the same character after some kind of split in their right. psyche. So. Could it be that the light that she's interpreting as an angel is in some way connected to the light being sent from the black and white mansion mm. um, or, or some kind of mm. positive positive thing? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, I think that's a good possibility. We've, we've talked about that a little bit in the last, our last recap, um, saying that the things that we see in the lodges and the black and white place everywhere are maybe just like humans... What, what humans are capable of understanding of those places might not be their actual form and, and format. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's a it's a golden ball here and it's an angel somewhere else. Totally, totally makes sense. Yeah. Do you think it ties more to the golden ball that was kind of dispatched from the giant to Cooper in the scene mm. when he gets uh, shot at the beginning of mm. uh, part or episode eight of the right. Series, yeah. the start of season two. That was because that was a more defined goal. Yeah. It was, and that was really cool to I because I completely forgot yeah, I about that about scene it, yeah. until I saw it posted on on social media uh, earlier this week, a mm-hmm. couple days ago maybe. Um, because that that definitely seems like it's it's got to be related in some way. Just yeah. the better CGI now. Yeah. But uh, but it's definitely <laughs> something that the giant is sending from his head to. Yeah, to, into Cooper's into, mouth it into looks the like. Places, yeah. So mm-hmm. could very well be. Yeah. 
it's, this is a bit left field, but if Laura has been returned to the world, could she even been seeing herself in some right. way? Could that have? Could her future self be the light that she was seeing, and she was coming to say it's going to be all right, or something like that? I know? love that idea, yeah. and that's something that uh, quite a few people have said. Like the the light that she sees is looks like a TV flickering or something. So she's seeing, you know, maybe maybe she's watching Twin Peaks itself play out in the red room or something like that. But <laughs> I love that idea that maybe she is just seeing herself and knowing that that it's going to be okay because somewhere some somehow she's gonna, she's gonna come back, come back or she's and, going to she's gonna save the day yeah oh i just love that i just got chills thinking about it i think that's great so mark says laura palmer was never murdered still alive present day events of new series take place before the original <laughs> series that's a that's a great point. i think nothing is off the table anything is possible i would say that's crazy but that's just might be right, yeah. Just the right amount of crazy, to be honest. Well, it, it kind of fits in if, if, like what you guys said, with the uh, with the the trajectories of time kind of mm-hmm. converging. I, yeah, why I mean, not? is it future or is it past? Yeah. Right. I, I think that's that's oh, yeah. really that could have been the title of this this series because it's the question everybody's <laughs> asking: When is this taking place? It absolutely could be. Yeah that what we're seeing is happening out of time. And I mean, even David Lynch said that too. He's like, maybe you're not supposed to watch it in this order. Maybe there's uh, some kind of, I, I don't know how we find out what that order is. We'll maybe know at the end of 18 hours, but definitely that it's things that were being shown are, are maybe out of sequence. Do you think that affects the interpretation though of the scene where uh, Hawk finds the diary pages? So that implies that, so so a certain number of events are happening post Laura Palmer's yeah. death. And certainly Hawke seems to be very interesting because I think his arc is very much out of sequence, potentially. Yes. Because I remember in, is it part one or part two, because they were together, the bit where he actually goes to the entrance of the Black right. Lodge. Now, that can't be, I think, immediately after he's had the first call right. with the Log Lady. You know, he has. He says something like, um, "You know, I think again, uh, the log and I are on the same yeah. page, or something." Yeah. And he goes and he shines a torch. It's a beautiful yeah. scene, but it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense because the lodge opens at a very specific time, and it also implies that he must be going there for a mm-hmm. reason. And that reason only appears in what part yes, seven, seven when he's having the conversation where he knows that the that the good Dale wasn't the one that yeah. came out. But it also means. Is he going to go into the lodge? And if so, what is he actually going to find if Cooper's already out of it? Well, that and that's the big question, too, is is Coop has even left the lodge yet? Because that that could be that maybe he hasn't left or maybe um, he's going to have to go back in because I mean, not to we can talk about this a bit more, maybe in the in the bad section. But um, if good Coop and bad Coop have to recombine somehow. Mm-hmm. Where does that take place? Can that happen in the real world, or do they have to go back to the lodge for that for that to happen? So potentially, what we're seeing is Hawk. Maybe that's something that's that's happening chronologically within the series at the end of or in, in hour seventeen or something, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe he's going to pull Cooper out of the lodge, the whole Cooper after he's recombined with bad like. I, who knows? But I totally think you're right that if he went, if Hawk was going to the Glastonbury Grove at that moment, 
it doesn't make sense that he would still be asking questions and and he wouldn't he would be surprised about the lodges like he hasn't got that information yet so it it has to be taking place afterwards which is which is really cool to think that that we might already how many other scenes are we seeing that that are taking place after events that we haven't seen yet it's very discombobulating. It's it's oh, it's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, we feel really rootless. I think as an audience, um, but it's a good a good feeling because you just want to put that mystery, put all the pieces together, and figure it out all, all out. So, but I think we kind of cool if when he does go, it turns out that he has backup yeah. and a shitload of people just all bundle <laughs> into the red room and create absolute chaos. Because if you rush the of place, course. they're not going to have of a chance, course. really. You got Bobby, you got Shelley, you got, you know, everyone just shows up. You can leave Chad in there. It's marvellous. Give him 20 Chad has to stay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what happens if you meet Double Chad? Right. Oh, I yeah. can't. Or, or would Double Chad be a good yeah. guy? I don't know. <laughs> Well, if they're the opposite, yeah, right? Maybe. I mean, Chad is... He's such a Chad, yeah. so... Yeah, it's so <laughs> So I think, actually, going back to the point about Hawk, mm. though, when he goes back, do you think that ties to the fact that... Um, I mean, he references it a few times now, but the mythology of the Lodgers is a lot more understood by um, his Native American sort of background. I mean, it's clearly... You know, known that, and his interpretation might be a, a different way of looking at it to how it's documented by other mm. people in terms of um, the way that uh, Parsons and Crowley are talking about the Black right. Lodge and things like that. But he has a much more spiritual view of how the thing works. He certainly knew about the idea of confronting your shadow self and how it would mm. split you into yeah. two as well. So, do you think that we haven't really resolved the mystery of? you know, the clue that Hawk is actually looking for and the link to his Native American heritage. Because maybe there's something more mm-hmm. to it. I mean, maybe there is more to him, like you say, knowing that both coops have to come together in the same right. place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even, I mean, just the obvious one is there's still a page of the diary missing somewhere. So presumably yeah. Hawk mm-hmm. will be on that case. But um, absolutely, I, I think that's a that's a strong possibility for, for his character. And, well, and, and just and the with Peaks the way that... That the secret history kind of expands on the history of the the First Nations people in that area, um, the, and and then getting that tie back with the Nez Perce uh, manufacturing or whatever on mm. the like and the Indian head nickel that that he found. I think we're going to see a lot more of his his heritage come into play in ways that we we were only really hinted at in the first season, but or first two seasons, but that are, I think it, it will come back to play back into play. Um, as we go forward it has to i mean he's the only one really looking for cooper right now right so and the log said that it had something to do with his heritage so i believe the log (laughs) for what it's worth me both (laughs) so actually going back to the idea of cooper so uh eamon hanker says how much of good coop do you think we will get in season three and would any of you be disappointed if he didn't show up until the last episode (sighs) that's a good question I, I originally thought maybe we'd get more of Good Coop, but I think I think we're gonna get we're gonna get just the right amount. I have full faith in David Lynch and Mark Frost <laughs> that we are gonna get exactly as much Coop as we need. Good Coop, Good Coop. Um, but that's just me. <laughs> Will you be disappointed if it's just like ten minutes at the end of part of eighteen? Now I don't know. I don't 
know. I, it, yeah, I think... it'll kind of depend on how the rest of the story is unfolded. And... Yeah, I mean, if if all we got was was I, I'm I'm actually really enjoying Dougie stuff and and all the stuff that's happening in Las Vegas. I think it's it's fun and and um, because there's still so much mystery there, like what's going on. So I'm I'm invested in that. Uh, Aiden doesn't believe. No, well, no, I mean it's it is getting better, but <laughs> at this point, I'm still not not quite enjoying it. Um, as much, and I, I don't know if I'd be disappointed either. It would really depend on on all the other factors, but um, I hope we get a, a chunk, you know, a good chunk of of regular Cooper would be pleasant to see. Just to just to enjoy the character again, you know. Well, just and and the other question that's been brought up a lot is is what kind of Cooper is that gonna? What is that gonna look like? Mm-hmm. What kind of man is he going to be after twenty five years in the lodge? And um, if he has to combine with with Mister C again. Uh, is he going to have all of Mr. C's memories of all the crimes that have been committed in his in his place? I guess that's going to affect him. He's he's not going to be the same guy. So I mean, if we get like, it's it's going to be a completely different Cooper. It's not going to be the bubbly, you know, sipping coffee, eating cherry pie, right? Or maybe it will. Maybe yeah. we're all wrong. I don't know. What do you What do you both think? I I don't know that there are so many unresolved things going on in Las Vegas at the mm. moment. There, there are so many forces lined up against him. Um, we, we tried to run through mm. them all um, in like in a previous episode because there, there, there are so many people who, who either seem to be out to kill him or out to get him or whatever. And it, it feels like there's either a huge amount still to do in Las Vegas tying up all those loose ends or they're just going to have some crazy half hour shootout between everybody um that results in in cooper regaining his senses and realizing what he yeah. has to do i really don't know it could it could be that i mean the next part is part nine right so that's halfway through so maybe halfway in we're going to get right. Coop back but i wouldn't mind spending a bit more time in las vegas you know we're starting to really get to like Janie mm. e and the the relationship with sunny jim and it would be a shame if suddenly all of that just suddenly ended but you also kind of want good yes. back and to get him on the trail of doing something mm-hmm. he has to have some kind of function we just don't really know what it is yet beyond Leland's um asking him to find yeah. Laura um it's it's kind of frustrating but fun at the same time yeah. and I just don't know I yeah I, I don't know how much more how much longer we're going to wait maybe they're quite happy um lining all of the other dominoes up until good coop coming back is the final domino that is going to make the whole story fall down that would be cool i think like what you said was really important actually about the fact that he's going to come back changed in some way because there was always an element of internal struggle in Cooper. He put on the facade of being able to, you know, be the very positive, upbeat kind of guy, but it was clear that he did struggle with things, but he was able to work through them and sort of find the right way yeah. forward. I think he's going to come back as a, you know, if he does come back, he will be a lot more tormented than he was yeah. before. Um, I mean, spending 25 years in the Black Lodge is going to do something yeah. to you. But the other thing is, I think just in terms of the character, it's not just about seeing him return and do stuff but i do feel it would be nice although i know that lynch and frost don't care about nice potentially um, it would be cool to see 
him interact with some of the other characters yeah. again. So it would be really nice to see, I mean, it wouldn't be the same, but to see how his interaction with Gordon right. is now. Yeah. How his interaction with Albert is. How his interaction is back in the town. I and mean, I know it's going to be different uh, without Harry right. there, but I think it would be really cool to see a coop returned after this long become rehabilitated into the world of Twin Peaks itself through somebody like Hawk kind of you know maybe understanding the spiritual journey he's been on and then being able to you know help him cope with being back in the real world Um, because I think he would want to at least try and be back to normal that's kind of the coop thing to do Mm -hmm. to make other people feel good he doesn't like to show his weaknesses to other people Um, he might struggle with it himself, but I can't imagine him going all no. around the place. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> That's a different show entirely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's a, that's a, a valid point, and I I I think we I I do think we will see a return. Cooper will return in some form, and it'll be the Cooper that left. He'll be different, but I think that it it's just this whole thing is setting up. Uh, like it's called the return. They're they're going to be returning things back to normal, quote unquote. And I think that's what we're already we're on that path. It's just a matter of when we're going to get there. So should we discuss a little bit that that point about you know why this thing is called yeah the return yeah because that's I mean it's not season three. Mm-hmm. It's you know it is Twin Peaks the return. They're very careful about emphasizing that, and that that seems to be coming up thematically very heavily in what's going on the arcs and the um actually the nature of the way that characters are behaving and sort of you know and potentially returning to how they were before Mm -hmm. returning to new look well to the same locations but i think the original blurb was something like the the head of showtime saying that this is going to be about the odyssey of dale cooper returning to twin Mm -hmm. peaks which seemed odd at the time, but now it makes perfect yeah. sense. You can see how that's you know how that's being done. So, what are your thoughts on yeah you know, on the return conceptually? Well, it's interesting that they called it the Odyssey too, because I mean, just from a literary standpoint, that story is is so archetypal and and is so ingrained in Western literature, but uh, other other cultural uh, literatures as well. And so, the idea of the hero making the grand return home after a, a trial in the underworld is is it's really powerful stuff right like it's something that that um like we said earlier like it's the kind of story you really want to see david lynch tackle mm-hmm. i can't think of of other stories where we get to see the return we we see the descent a lot of the time into madness or into um these these spiritual places supernatural places mm-hmm. but do we get to see a lot of of the of the return back it almost seemed like that didn't that that didn't happen for for David Lynch. Like it, it didn't matter as much. But here it matters. Like mm-hmm. that's very they they are being very careful to call it the return. So there there has to be a reason for that. Yeah, I agree. Okay. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I, Bickering Peaks agrees once, again. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I I think that's a that's a good summary of it. I mean, I think there's. I mean, you've talked to, touched on it already here, but, um, you know, we are returning slowly to the town of Twin Peaks. Um, we're getting more and more of it every episode. Uh, we're also um, 
it feels like perhaps we're returning uh, to some of the I don't want, they're not the same uh, conflicts but the same um, ideas of duality and um, you know good and evil and stuff and and those are just getting deeper like they were always there obviously in the original series and even in the start of this one you know we had Doppelcoop and Good Cooper and it was very clear and they were talking about doppelgangers but here we're getting you know an exposition of it now especially in part eight with uh the atomic bomb blast and kind of the origin of bob and potentially laura um it it feels like we're returning to uh the roots of of what was always at the the core of twin peaks and part of that is laura for sure so um yeah i wouldn't be surprised if her appearance uh may come towards the end as well uh just for the sake of it is part of the return to to her story it's also odd that they've been dropping in all this Arthurian yeah. um, references yeah. now mm. and then, um, but, but very specifically located around where Dougie Coop yeah. is and um, and the, the street names and the, the references that they've been having there, um, which, which again it kind of echoes back to this idea of you know the, the returning figure um, who who comes back when they're right. needed. Very Arthurian, um, isn't it? Which, <laughs> Yeah, which again, again comes back to the question of well, is Coop not needed yet? Mm-hmm. Is he gonna is he gonna regain his senses when he is mm-hmm. needed? Is he is he just in play at the moment? Is he on the chessboard but he's not being yeah. moved yet because you don't need to? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, uh, that and and I mean even going back to it was kind of started in the season two with like naming Glastonbury Grove what they did and. Um, I don't know if you've read the original script for the the season two finale, but there seemed to be some even more Arthurian links with like a hand reaching out of the the curtains with the sword, and it it really does seem like they were setting up setting this part of it up uh, in some form as far back as 1991. So um, does that does that mean that Cooper is is the King Arthur uh, analog? Yeah. I could see it. Yeah. I could see it that Definitely. he's the one or is Laura the King Arthur yeah. analog too? Like that could be as well. But it is it is very interesting yeah. to think about that. Yeah, and you, you kind of wonder if if part of this actually means that if there were if if these lodges have always been there and if there have been entrances to these lodges all over the world for a long time have different cultures interpreted them in different ways um like maybe maybe there's some kind of link between like legends of camelot and the way that black and white lodges were being interpreted by the people who came up with those legends Mm -hmm. afterwards and is it it is as you said earlier like do we do human beings perceive things in the way that they are capable of understanding Mm -hmm. them because whatever they actually are metaphysically we don't understand them so we we perceive them through our kind of own cultural lens and they create kind of legends and mythologies mm-hmm. and religions all over the world mm-hmm. maybe yeah yeah that, that can very well be yes absolutely that is yeah very interesting uh yes we had one question uh from christian hartleben which to summarize it really is talking about the influence of mark frost in the return so it has come up a lot i mean certainly you know, people are talking about it as this wonderful piece of David Lynch art and things like that. That's very true. But from the very beginning of The Return, it has been extremely clear, I think, that this has Mark Frost's fingerprints 
all over it. I mean, he really, I mean, he is there ingrained in this whole thing. And certainly now that so many layers of it are being revealed by, you know, reading the secret history of Twin Peaks in particular, it shows that he has built a mythology that he has worked into the script that's being presented to Mm -hmm. us now. And although, you know, David Lynch may not have read the secret history of Twin Peaks. I know he said he didn't, but I think he does know exactly what happened <laughs> in that. Um, you know, I do get the impression that, you know, the the narrative arc of this, it it's the work of somebody who is a great screenwriter and somebody who has their background, at least, you know, post-Peaks and on the air and things. You know, he did turn to writing mm-hmm. novels. You know, he knows how stories work. And I think he's also aware that he doesn't want to leave things, you know, hanging in inverted commas Mm. like it did last time. He wants this thing, like you said, to have a beginning, a middle Mm. and an end. So I think, yeah, I mean, we should be very careful to make sure that it is always considered a, you know, a Frost and Lynch uh, piece all the time so what are your thoughts yeah, on that yeah I, I agree i think and i think part eight that just aired is a perfect example actually because you look at it and it's just it's a visual spectacle it's all in the director's hands but i think that i think a uh you know dougie or uh doppelkoop getting shot by ray is a great turn of of you know uh the tables and and a uh, great plot ch- change of pace um and then you know I think Mark Frost is the one who came up with, okay, so we're going to have these woodmen come out and dance around Dougie or around Coop and everything. Uh, you know, I feel like those elements are there. And also, um, you know, the whole idea of rooting something back into like this kind of moralistic uh, take on the, the atomic bomb. You know, I, I think Lynch is, Lynch is happier in uh, hard realities of characters. He'll, he'll rely on, larger scale things for imagery and some symbolism occasionally but this felt like a pretty on the nose um take about you know the source of evil in in human nature and america and it fits with with mark frost i mean anybody who follows him on twitter knows that he's a very politically motivated guy and he he has some you know where he stands on these issues um so i think you know as as much as this this that event would have affected them both growing up and it's it's probably deeply ingrained in in anybody's psyche who grew up in the shadow of you know the cold war um it seems like something that's very very frost frostian frostian. frosty very frosty (laughs) um that 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 it would be given such weight and such like you said a moral weight right um and then also in, in things like the the dialogue that, that comes, like Janie's speech about the 99%, yeah. I think is just pure yeah. frost, right? Like that's just so perfectly uh, his moment. And, and it's interesting because we've talked about this many times on our podcast, especially just saying like how the, there was always a back and forth between them. And I feel like that that's happening in individual characters in, in The Return. It's happening in scenes. It's happening in the overall plot structure and... Um, so I, I feel like that's really there. Like, yes, Janie, it's kind of a, a Lynchian stereotype, almost like the nagging wife who's, who's, you know, kind of missing the obvious <laughs> that her husband has some sort of mental uh, in, impairment right now. Uh, but then, yeah, they come out with this scene where, you know, really flips, turns on its heel a little bit and, and presents a new side to Janie that, you know, feels like, yeah, more of a frost side. So I feel like, but at the same time, this character still feels whole and complete because they've created it together and uh and yeah and it's really an amazing uh 
uh, I guess, what, joint partnership of, mm. of creative processes that's really rare to see something come together so cohesively that way. Yeah, it does actually seem, I think that example is really good. Janie is a character which is very well written for Lynch to direct yeah. and produce on screen. Um, although I do wonder, I think even in part eight, I'd like to know what was in the script describing the explosion and everything that happens. Yes. <laughs> we thought that when we were watching it, we're like, this script must have been four pages long. Or it was all drawings or something. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine how that... Uh, I, I hope sincerely that at some point they publish the entire script. I think that would be just fascinating yeah. to go through and see what what was on the page and then compare it to what made it onto onto the screen because uh yeah, you're right. I'm I can't even imagine how that was written. Yeah. And then there's an explosion and then there's color and then like <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good summary, yeah. <laughs> Actually going back to what you were saying about the discarded ending of the season two mm-hmm. finale there's all the weird stuff that happened with you know the dentist yes. chair and all this business right and my understanding is that lynch kind of threw all that out and said this is what we're gonna do now that made that very memorable sort of latter part of that episode one of the most striking things that you know at that point we'd ever seen on tv but do you also think that this time when we're looking at the more extra dimensional logy events, they're not just the hand of somebody who's trying to create a mishmash of different visuals and dreams and making it uninterpretable. There does seem to be a very strong plot to what's going on in those sequences. So we actually have characters, you know, for want of a better phrase, talking Mm. sense, you know, they are imparting information that can be followed. They're giving directions and, there is an mm-hmm. arc, an actual sort of narrative going on in these lodge scenes as well that doesn't exist before. To me, that's very, you know, that is a very, what's the word, frost delicious <laughs> kind of <I'm> like <laughs> aspect of it. Well, it seems it seems like uh, like the hand of a novelist, right? Like you said, and I mean, yeah. Bex, you're a novelist as well. Both of us were writers. Um, so, you, you know, when you're plotting out a story in some way we all do this we all kind of figure out okay well where are we going next and and what's going to happen we might have an ending in mind it feels like that's that's how they approached it i think uh it also affect is affected by the fact that back then they really didn't know where things were going to be going and they didn't have an idea of when if they'd be picked up or what would happen they had maybe loose ideas for episode to episode but um it was different writers every time too so that makes a big difference as well um so this, I think, it, it really does come down to the fact that you've got an amazing visual artist in David Lynch, who is, you know, his his contribution is is evident in what we see and um, in, in some of those other elements like the Lynchian characters and stuff. And you have a novelist and someone who's got very, very good chops when it comes to crafting these stories um, and they're combined in such a way that is, it's so seamless. It's almost, it's hard sometimes to see where where one creative partner ends and the other one begins. I think it's just, it's so rare. I, I can't, I can't think of another, maybe Lennon McCartney, but even then it's very clear who's doing who's what. Who's who's um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 it's quite something. 
And I think that's what makes everybody... And who's the Yoko? Who's the Yoko? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd say Bob Iger originally, when <laughs> the original CBS, but, uh, or ABC, I mean, but uh, yeah. That's <laughs> true. But it is, it is really impressive, and I think it's something that um, that made us very excited. It made everybody really excited, knowing mm-hmm. that, that it's the two of them again. It, it just wouldn't yeah. be this way if I, it wasn't. No, it's, and it's been flawless. I think it's interesting that Mark Frost hasn't um, like really been at the forefront of any of the publicity of this. I mean... You know, he's been, you know, he was around and he's been around in like the premiere. You could see him there and everything like that. But he hasn't done any of the press seemingly for this. He hasn't been giving the interview. So it has almost lent itself in the public eye to being a, you know, a Lynch mm. project. And there is this weird thing about directors of projects often having a greater prominence than the writers right. on things. I mean, often people don't realize that, you know, a script is the fundamental thing, mm. which you know you know needs to be worked from and in this case it's clear that they did write it together um but it is a bit strange that i think maybe because he takes a bit of a step back maybe because he doesn't want to explain it and and engage too much about it until it's over i mean maybe he'll well he's probably working on the final dossier at the moment trying to figure (laughs) out how that fits in but it is you know it does also mean that it's less obvious that there is another hand in it as well although when you watch it it does it really seems like you know he's he's maybe also done a bit of course correction yeah. as well when things get a little bit too wild he's like no we need to stick to yes. an arc and that's what makes me realize that over these 18 hours i think it will be a very rewarding yeah. experience yeah and it's one of the reasons why all these people saying they're upset about this and they can't see where it's going i i, I just want to shake them and say just be patient because seriously it's going to come together like it 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 we just we just haven't seen it all yet you know, but once we get to the end of it, we're going to look back and see that it's, it was all going in a direction and it was all heading to this point. We just, we just can't see it yet. It's unlike anything else <laughs> to, to just keep coming back to that point. It's just unlike anything yeah. else. Yeah. To, to not only have no specific idea of where it's going, but to also not really mind mm-hmm. and just have faith that it's going to be great when yeah. we get there is is such a change from you know you know a lot of shows things are a bit too telegraphed and um you know the the, the story beats that are hit in a narrative they become so um uh kind of standardized sometimes mm-hmm. that that you almost it almost feels jarring when it doesn't hit a, a story doesn't yeah. hit those same story beats because it's almost become so ubiquitous in you know a two and a half hour film that it's going to go do, 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 exactly. do, when when certain story beats are going to get hit but when it doesn't happen it makes you feel almost kind of uneasy and I wonder if that's adding to the uneasiness that you feel watching this because it's not going in the way that you expect and you you can have tremendous fun trying to figure out where it's going mm-hmm. to go and yet when it turns out to be something completely different it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah very rewarding um yeah and and just the complete lack of spoilers yeah. anywhere yes. at all is is just a practically a miracle yeah, in the modern no, age sure. to have to have no no spoilers out there no one leaking yeah. anything no no photos getting out on the yeah. press um every, everybody in the cast and crew keeping shum about it is yeah. brilliant brilliant yeah so michael honeyman got in touch over twitter and he suggested that it might be fun to take a look at some of the 
questions and plot points which have been kind of dangling mm. since the very start of the return, which have actually not been dropped, but they've really taken a back yeah. seat. And certainly recent parts have made us kind of forget them yeah. a little bit yeah. for a while as well. So so we have things like, um, you know, the initial scenes in New York with the glass box. We have the whole Hastings side of the right. murder, which is still left unresolved. Um, and also we do have these strange flashes of other characters in Twin yep. Peaks mm-hmm. who we haven't really seen properly. So there's a little bit of Nadine we saw at yeah. one point. We do know that, you know, Big Ed is going to show up at some point, hopefully. There, you know, there is a little bit more of what's happening at the mm-hmm. double R. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, what's happening with those other strands, where those things might be going. So maybe, you know, you know the New York sequence with the right. glass box. So that might tie in with what we're going to do a bit yes. later on um, with regard to the contents right. of the box. But why do you think actually that was, you know, established so early on and then left to kind of hang for a while? It might come back to that whole idea of it being off-putting and uneasy, making us uneasy about things, that, that we saw something that was so jarring and so uh, violent, and then we don't see it again. We haven't seen it since, like, the end of the second hour, I think, was the last time we saw the glass box. Well, no, because Tammy did Oh, find, I guess that's true, you know, yes, She gave so. that little mini-report, but even then, they just dropped it. They're yeah. like, oh, he's like, it's weird or whatever yeah. <laughs> Gordon Cole said, and that was... That was the entirety of it. Sure. We haven't gone back since. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It is, it's just, it's more disorienting. I thought that one was well paced in the first, those first two hours though, because it, it provided a bit of a mystery. You know, it was, it was what happened to these kids. And then when we saw Cooper in the box, um, ostensibly in that brief period when the uh, Sam had stepped out, um, it just added an extra layer of like, okay, now we know this is, this is catching lodge spirits of some sort, or that's what it was designed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it's it, it helped establish that, um, and you know, pretend, the, given the idea that there are other gateways into the into the world, maybe someone, manufactured gateways, yeah, too, exactly, right? Yeah, like yeah. not not just a, a portal in the woods, but uh, something that's been created for the sole purpose of capturing potentially capturing spirits. Or yeah, something. and I think the biggest question that's still unanswered from that one isn't what happened to the kids or what happened to the monster or experiment or whatever it is but you know who's the millionaire or the billionaire that's that's looking after this you know that's the one that's that's uh waiting in the wings and uh, but the fact that it's it's, the fact that it has come back like the fbi has that information they know what's gone on and presumably the fbi is has already gotten a call about major briggs's body like we saw with um uh cynthia nixon yeah no that's not it that's not it that's Sex in the City. Yeah, no, that's not it. Uh, but the, Davis the, the, call, yes, called the FBI. Yes, so uh, presumably <laughs> they know they're going to get that um, that piece of it. it. Yeah. So they're going to have all of the pieces. Maybe they're going to start putting it together and we'll start to see that coming to fruition soon. But but yeah, it's interesting that, that they, they, they dropped them in there and then left them for so long. Seven hours or something yeah. in some cases, so... So given that there might have been an appearance of the box in the secret history of Twin Peaks, and we know that I think Dougie Milford observed it with Richard Nixon, and Milford also knew Cole. Do you think Cole knew what that box was? Yeah. Or knows, (laughs) or will will come to um, 
you know, realize that it was something that he's heard about before. Yeah, that, I mean, Gordon Cole is an interesting one because um, we've already seen with Albert, his interactions with Albert that, uh, that maybe his hearing impairment isn't all that it's cracked up to be. So what else is yeah. he hiding? What else does he know about that he's maybe playing coy with or something? So, um, yeah, he said in, when Tammy showed him the, the footage, he's like, what the hell is that kind of thing? But I think he, it some of that may be an act. I think mm-hmm. he definitely knows more about more than he's letting on. What's your take on Gordon? The thing is, I think he's transformed from being the sort of very uh, benevolent boss kind of mentor to Cooper uh, to somebody who has not a sinister element, but he really is a lot more involved Mm -hmm. than he is letting on, like you say. Yeah, I, I think those those kind of funny visual clues in his office of the things on the wall. Um, I, you know, I I don't know if those are, those are just visual echoes that they're putting in because they look cool or if it's a signifier that that he does know more than he's letting on. And and I also think that Denise Bryson knows more than she's letting on. Um, I think that maybe she is even the person who Colonel Davis is calling at the FBI um, because I think she was trying to send Cole a message of some kind when they're in that yes. meeting. With and the she, roses. Yeah, I've got the roses and she says something like, I think you're onto something big or something like yeah. that. I, I I think she knows more about some kind of wider picture, which leads me to suspect that she'll probably be back mm. at some point, maybe. Another, another meeting with Cole. But I, I think maybe he does know more. And of course, the whole the whole FBI net kind of widens when you try and figure out how on earth Philip Jeffries any of it which I think is Mm. kind of the biggest wild card in it at the moment Mm. Um, but I I definitely think that that the FBI and the military both must know more Um, they'll have found other stuff you know up in their listening post alpha yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) do you think that Denise knows a little bit more about Jeffries and what he's been up to, given that she's chief of staff. Well, that seems to be where I would head with, with that, is that she's, she's um, how did Gordon put it, that she's his boss now or something? Like, she's, yeah. she's ahead of him, so she's above him. She knows, she has to know more. Um, now, it, it, it also comes back to this idea of what the Blue Rose cases are, and if Gordon is still as intimately involved with them as he seemed to be in Firewalk with me um because that would seem is is it some kind of x-files like division that not everybody has access to but certainly the chief of staff of the entire you know federal bureau of investigations would have um <laughs> would have intimate knowledge of that as well you would think so you, hope so, yeah. you would hope so yeah exactly so um I kind of hope so. I, I I do hope so. I hope that Denise comes to play a more prominent role in that uh, the freaky elements of Twin Peaks because a I just love Denise and b I think it would be very fitting for for there to be a powerful female taking the reins because um, the the discontent a lot of people have felt about Tammy uh, I think that that that's 
deliberate, that they've set that up deliberately, and maybe there's going to be some kind of um, mentorship or something going on there between Denise and Tammy. I hope, I, I always hoped so. Because the Tammy that you get in the book is a different Tammy than the one that we see on screen. I feel like that there's some growth that needs to happen here still. So to go off on a tangent, yeah. <laughs> we weren't talking about Tammy. But. So do you think there's actually going to be a big time jump coming up quite soon that skips over the... Well, so maybe there's a bit... You know where in Mulholland Drive, uh, I think when Betty finds the blue box and puts the key inside and then it kind of kind of fades to black in the same way that Chet Desmond see when he reaches for the ring fades to black. Is there going to be something where the dossier is found, it fades to black and then we jump forward just like in fire walk with me to like a one year yeah. later situation. And maybe she has got that mentorship yes. and it's post her, um, you know, having gone through the dossier, the plot moving forward, maybe Cooper is back right. at that point. I mean, how do you think that's going to, yeah, no, it definitely place? could. I, I, I think when we were chatting earlier, uh, I'd said, oh, that'll happen in part eight. That'll be perfect timing for that to happen. And it didn't. For, but, for a time jump? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, definitely. I think it's it's always a possibility with uh, with the David Lynch movie. And uh, I think it could serve a lot of interesting plot movement as well. I mean, there's a possibility that all the cases they've been looking into reach dead ends. And then, yeah, we need a time jump in order to, to proceed. And Dougie's been living in a in a, suburban know, a, Las Vegas yeah, for... Home for for three years or something you know that's definitely a possibility so uh, yeah I I kind of hope so I it would be infuriating be a for a lot of people though who want to see these things and then all of a sudden like we were thinking if if at the in part eight when Mr. C sits up if that was Dougie or not Dougie if, if Dougie's gone now and if that's now Cooper reasserting himself in some way and that's now Cooper's back how infuriating that would be as a as a jump for that character to not see what happens with Dougie or not no forget about Dougie I'm saying (laughs) um to not see how that process happened for it to just happen oh right like but I could see that happening I think the the reason that we jump there is because it seems like something David Lynch and Mark Frost would do is to just have a, a jump where the plot just moves forward and you don't see how it moves forward it just happens Mm -hmm. so if if it's something that I would expect, um, but who knows? Who knows what to expect, really? So, yeah. Do you think that, given that we're currently set in what 1956, do you think if there's any possibility that we're going to actually see some of the events of the secret history played out on screen? Uh, yeah, I could think be. there's a there's a good possibility we could. Um, certainly there were hints of, you know, with the atomic bomb and, and whatnot. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I think maybe, uh, Frost wanted to keep it separate though. Like I get the sense that there's, there's tiny hints along the way, but for the most part, he wanted to tell his own story. And I think that's why, uh, Lynch was, you know, not that concerned about reading it because, uh, you know, yeah, it was, it was a separate entity that, that may intersect, but, um, I think I think it's possible. Like you could have, uh, especially the the Jet Propulsion Lab or something like that. You know, um, or that this this event that we saw in 1956 maybe is the first Blue Rose case. I've seen uh, that proposed. That maybe that, that was the very first Blue Rose case. So we might see Dougie Milford or um, some of the early FBI characters that maybe a young Gordon Cole will show up at some point or something. Right, like. Um, depending on where they go. I mean, obviously he wouldn't be in 1956, but 
uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the possibilities really are endless. And, and like you said at the, at the start, everything's on the table. Like there's, there's so many places it could go and it could go everywhere. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And any thoughts on the Hastings situation? Yeah, that one is a toughie because... Uh, I'm sticking by my original theory <laughs> that everything we've seen of the Hastings thing has happened after Cooper, Doppel Cooper breaks out of prison. So I, I still think he's going to go, he's going to, after he sat up at the end of part eight, he's going to go and kill, <laughs> what's her name? Hastings' wife. Phyllis I, I, Hastings? Phyllis Hastings. Um, You're really I'm, digging in your heels with I'm that really, one. I really want it to be true because then it would just, you know, the timeline would make a little more sense as much as it can. Um, but yeah, no, I I think that one's really interesting because, yeah, it was, it was the initial mystery. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of been um, subsumed by... Uh, Major Briggs's body's appearance, you know, that's really setting in motion uh, a kind of dis- different chain of events. But we still have questions of why did uh, Doppel Cooper need information about Hastings? Mm-hmm. Why did uh, why did he kill Ruth Davenport? Um, or did he kill Ruth yeah, Davenport? Who killed Ruth Davenport, yeah. first of all? Um, why did he have to kill Phyllis? Yeah. Where's Ruth's body? That's yeah. the other question, is that we yeah. haven't found her body yet. Where's the so, major's head? Yeah, there's... Um, or the I, major's head, yeah. You know, exactly. that one, for being having very little time since part two, really, almost yeah. none. Mm-hmm. It almost all happened in part one. It's, yeah, it's a ton of really interesting mysteries. And the fact that we saw into. one of the woodsmen, what we're calling the woodsmen, show up in the mm-hmm. jail with, with in close proximity to Bill. Yeah. I think it it links it very strongly. We just haven't seen the end of it yet. I, we're definitely going to see more. We have to. Yes. So. Yeah. What, what do you? What? But we might, <laughs> we might not. <laughs> Thanks for crushing all my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what do you two think is is the most interesting part of that whole conundrum? Well, it's it's kind of odd that they they kind of quite early on introduced a murder which in many ways seemed to echo the murder of mm-hmm. Laura in that um, there, there was there was a mystery about the death. Um, there was somebody arrested who, to the audience, appeared to have something of Leland about him, that there was some suggestion that maybe he'd been possessed. He didn't remember what yes. had happened. And it, it was beginning to feel a little bit familiar, maybe. And then it's almost like the, the rug got pulled out mm-hmm. from under our feet because we haven't even seen Bill since that moment in the jail where the the woodsman kind of vanished um which is a shame because Matthew Lillard was yeah. really good um and it, it's like it, it's kind of subverted our expectations about how that whole drama was going to go because we've been back with the police I, I really love the police in yes. Buckhorn I want like a little almost like a little kind of comedy <laughs> yeah. drama centered around Buckhorn PD um with uh, JJ from JJ's Diner and the brilliant coroner and yeah. her stand-up Constance. career and her spare we love time. Constance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want to be in their their little world. It's yeah. wonderful. Um, maybe they can finally take down Chip and Hank and whatever nefarious scheme it is that they've got going on. But there's all these things left over. Like, like what did Hank take yeah. from from right. the room in that in that medical bag? And who is Chip? And why doesn't mm-hmm. he have a phone? And what about Harvey and Barney and their their annoyingly similar sounding names? So I keep getting them confused. And all these things that were there right from the beginning. And I I really do hope that we at least do go back and see what was going on. Because if I never find out what's in that medical bag, I'm going to be infuriated for the rest of my life. I really want to know what they took from well, that. Well, and room. I mean that one of your um, theories, I think, in in the 
you may have introduced it in that episode that I listened to in, in your podcast that uh, um, that it was the dossier that maybe he took the dossier or the dossier was found somehow in that scene which would be a nice uh, tie back mm-hmm. to when that that uh, getting that whole thing into motion right um, but I do think we are we have to see more of it because nothing that we've seen so far has been. I, I feel like everything is there for a reason, you know, and, and the fact that they wrote it all in one go and they have the whole story is really, uh, I, I think that's a good mark in its favor that, that we're going to see a resolution that's going to be somewhat satisfactory or at least to have a resolution of some sort. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that maybe it's going to come when we find out who Bill Hastings' secretary actually right. is. And actually meet them and find out what this information yeah. is. Because at, at some point, Mr. C has got to get it. If he can't get it from Ray, he's gonna get it. is he going to go to the yeah. source? And it's it's got to resolve something. I don't know if the name is a coincidence, if it's Betty or not. But there, there's got to be some resolution to why on earth Major Briggs yeah. was yeah. there. Um, but I, I I just hope that we get to see more of uh, more of Buckhorn PD. The FBI don't just completely take. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, they're delightful. I do. I love them. <laughs> I think what's interesting as well is that there have been some complaints that it's it's moving too slowly and it's not the right pace. But looking back, so much has happened yes. in these last eight mm-hmm. hours. It's impossible to process it even on that weekly yeah. scale. And I think that given that we've got 10 hours left, yeah, a huge number of things, it's like more than half of it still yeah. remains. And we have no idea. There could be another new <laughs> Yeah, <explosion>. exactly. <laughs> totally. You know, they could completely switch things up in, in, well, I know they will switch things up in completely unpredictable yeah. ways. So, you know, on one hand, I think going back to the Hastings thing, it could have just been, like you said, Aiden, maybe a window to get, the mystery going with the Briggs side of things and they may not go back to it again but the fact they have continued to dip into that well a little bit makes you wonder if you know I don't think it's going to be a plot that runs till hour Mm. 18 but I think there are they're kind of drip feeding elements of that plot throughout so they're only going to be revealed when they're relevant and it is interesting that unlike any other procedural that you'd watch it's almost taking the pace that it probably would take in a real life yeah. investigation yes. <laughs> you know things are happening slowly they're waiting for results on things there are roadblocks mm-hmm. to everything and that's a really interesting element that i do wonder has come directly from someone like mark frost being a writer on hill street yeah. blues you know he he wants to kind of add a bit of realism to it so that you know, maybe these investigations are going to take a little bit yeah. of time and they're not going to be that straightforward and there are going to be red herrings mm-hmm. that aren't there just as a narrative device, um, but ones that work that way because that's just how the investigation is going to take shape over the course of um, the show yeah. as it is. Yeah, I, I really love that moment in, uh, it must have been part seven, where um, the woman from the military turns up in Buckhorn and, and sees the body and she says, where's the head? And the detective, he's just very nonchalant. He's like, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's like, it's like in any other kind of procedural, there, there would have been some snappy thing that everyone would have said to each other and then they would have got out some impossible microscope. <laughs> yeah. 
solved, you know, it would have gone all CSI yes. and they would have solved it. But he was just like, oh, we know where the head is. I think CSI is very different Very show. different show. <laughs> but very watchable. I would love to watch it, yes. <laughs> So that's it for part one of listening post-alpha with Bickering Peaks and Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We've been talking a lot about the the good people who are, who are in the show and the good influences and the positive things that are going on. But in part two, come back because things are going to get very, very bad. That's perfect. I, I love it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very bad. bad. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's, it's excellent. Awesome. It's 100% accurate. Yeah, cool. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. And we'll see you on the other side <laughs> the of the listening side. post. <laughs>